Hello and welcome to The Next Page, the podcast of the UN Library and Archives Geneva, dedicated to conversations on multilateralism. This is It Takes a Global Crisis, a series of four special episodes in collaboration with the SDG Lab at UN Geneva. Hi, I'm Edward Michard from the SDG Lab. And we're Tiffany Verga and Natalie Alexander from the Library and Archives. Together, we'll explore how the COVID-19 pandemic has in many ways set in motion sustainable development solutions, things that were often talked about but rarely implemented before the crisis. We'll also consider the challenges, the gaps, and the limitations of progress that the pandemic has highlighted. We'll be talking to a range of experts and practitioners as they work both on the ground and in advancing policy on their experiences across the themes of digitalization and connectivity, the environment as a key to resilience, sustainable cities, and social protection. At the end of each episode, we'll also share with you a spark, an idea from a real-life project relevant to the episode's theme that is sparking change to advance the SDGs. So, did it take a global crisis? Let's find out. Hi, everyone. I'm Edward Michaud, and welcome to the fourth episode in our podcast mini-series between the SCG Lab, where I work, and the UN Library and Archives Geneva. We've been releasing an episode each month since December 2021. In previous episodes, we've kicked off the series, explored digitalization and connectivity, zeroed in on the environment and social resilience, and most recently, unpacked the importance of social protection policies and programs. Today, in our final episode, podcast number four, we're looking at how the global pandemic has impacted and shaped our relationship to cities and sustainability. Cities offer uh, unique opportunities to respond, recover, and build long-term resilience towards this compounding crisis. That's Dr. Bernadia Irwati Yanradevi, Secretary General of United Cities and Local Governments Asia-Pacific. In that sense, it forced us to think How mature is our city in terms of meeting SDGs, in terms of corresponding to the values of 2030 agenda? And that's Dr. Agata Krause, head of the 2030 Agenda in International Relations at the Center for Sustainable Development with Trondheim Kommune in Norway. The COVID-19 pandemic struck urban areas around the planet in a remarkable way, inviting us to urgently rethink our relationship with the spaces where most of us live. In fact, the United Nations predicts that by the year 2050, two out of every three people will live in cities or urban areas. So keeping that statistic in mind, how has the COVID pandemic reshaped our understanding of the urban living environment and the quality of life in cities? What have we learned about social relationships, community building, and urban planning? And importantly, how can these lessons contribute to the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals and provide a better living environment and life for all of us? Our guest today, joining from two different parts of the world, will help us explore these questions. So let's start. Dr. Agata Krause and Dr. Bernadia, I would like to get both of your perspectives on what has changed for people living in cities, particularly in urban areas since the beginning of COVID-19, which is now really more than than two years ago. And what has been some of the, the key policies 
or initiatives or programs that were often talked about in the past, let's say pre-COVID, but were never really implemented or brought forward. Dr. Bernadia, can I start with you? Thank you very much for the question. I think this is uh, very clear that this pandemic COVID-19 started in cities. Huh? And we know uh, the impact uh, on the pandemic in cities have been huge, especially since uh, most people live in, in cities. And this is why uh, we see also from uh, this experience that cities also need to make some changes. What we uh, see clearly here is that cities also have to react response differently towards this pandemic. For example, we have seen uh, more and more collaborations among the people because of this uh, pandemic, uh, COVID-19. And of course, uh, city leaders uh, made a quick actions and reactions as well as responses to this pandemic by making very quick kind of uh, decisions. Uh, and then this includes also improving the supply chains because we, we have seen also several um, cities, I mean, have been facing this uh, lockdown down or restriction uh, physically. So we have seen a very quick, you know, movement in cities that, that they cannot do uh, business as usual. And for example, there are a lot of uh, initiatives uh, that happen in cities. One of them is uh, like uh, in Java, this is in the central Java, there is called like uh, look after your neighbors. In Javanese, we, we say Jokotongo. These programs actually in- encourage residents of the central Java to support others using these uh, traditional community support values and activities. And uh, this also has uh, spread out uh, in many, many uh, cities, in Indonesia particularly. In the Philippines, similar support has also been seen, like uh, community pantries that enable uh, people to share food and other necessities. And uh, some of the events provided this vegetable on wheels by bringing these uh, products coming from farmers and then use these uh, vehicles. And this kind of support mechanism has been provided by many, many uh, cities, uh, leaders and cities governments. And we immediately, just a few months when this COVID-19 happened, we produced guidelines how local governments could respond to these pandemics. And we have collected quite a big numbers of practices. I think in total we have more than 200 practices. And that also has been shared through several webinars as well as uh, we call it web series on these uh, actions and provide dialogues among local leaders, especially city leaders. And even we provide the dialogue uh, with central government. So we also see what we have not seen before, like acceleration of digitalizations. Some cities have already made plan initially, but because of the pandemic, they made it faster. Like, for example, I already mentioned earlier about providing support mechanism through this platform using these digitals that also have been uh, spread out in many, many uh, local governments. But what we see more and more during this COVID is a solidarity spirit, solidarity spirit that we have not seen much before. Of course, uh, when we look at the cities, we always feel that people living in cities tend to be living individualism. But during this COVID, we see that the solidarity is very high. They also like to support others. And this is also quite important behaviors that we see changes uh, in cities and uh, urban areas. Thank you, Dr. Bernadia. I think it's interesting how you highlighted the solidarity element. So, Dr. Krause, based on, on what you've just heard also from Dr. Bernadia and based on your experience in the, the Trondheim Kommune, what have you seen as well? What is, what is your response? I think overall, across the context, not only in Norway, 
COVID reminded us about our own mortality, to start from, and reminded us about the importance of social relationships. On a very practical level, um, it has limited access to services that in many instances we might have taken for granted, such as access to healthcare, access to education, and other important social services. Because as we know, during especially during the peaks of COVID pandemic, municipalities had to deal with an influx of work unprecedented and unseen to a certain moment in time. That being said, COVID also forced us to move indoors, back to our spaces, back to our homes, and moved us to a digital world to, make, to which many of us haven't been really used to. It forced us to learn new skills and online skills and to really redefine our lives. And I can comfortably say that it's not only in Trondheim, but also beyond, it really forced us to pose the question, what is the quality of life in cities in the light of COVID-19 pandemic line? And what is our expectations towards quality of life in cities in general post-COVID? In what kind of spaces and places we would like to live in and why? In terms of how Trondheim has been dealing with COVID-19, obviously there has been huge solidarity spirit among local communities. And the municipality took a, a range of steps basically to do two things at the same time. To first of all, to address the urgency and act in the short term, but also sustain what is its legacy and what is its role really to provide access to services and infrastructure. We education, daycare, health services, social services, dealing with homelessness. The, the services have been still provided during COVID, so municipalities have to manage two things at the same time. So, yes, I think if that responds. But what I have observed taking place in Norway, especially in Trondheim, is that we kept an eye on SDGs in implementing 2030 agenda regardless COVID. In fact, throughout COVID, we managed, for instance, to develop voluntary local review for Trondheim Commune as a response of our commune, of our city, to the need to implement 2030 agenda better, to take stock of what we have done. So although one part of our activity is still COVID response and emergency, we continued our work on SDGs and implementing 2030 agenda. Also, throughout COVID, in spite of COVID, uh, we launched a range of initiatives in the field of transport and mobility, especially to support social mobility. In the light of COVID pandemic, you might have think that's maybe a difficult initiative to implement, but it turned out it still can be done and implemented. For instance, I can recall a project that we are still running, which relies on providing better mobility for students in the city, create new social movement hubs in the city, for instance, connecting places in which students go to, for instance, to purchase ventures such as IKEA, to other places in the city so that students can move comfortably at affordable price as we also support social mobility. So that's one of the initiatives. Mm. Um, the other thing we've been doing in spite of COVID, what is very important from the point of view of long-term sustainability and resilience, we've been investing in energy efficiency. And specifically, we have a project titled Positive City Exchange. It's the European Union-founded project, which not only Trondheim is involved in, which relies on producing energy-positive districts, taking the energy system production and use 
off the grid and creating the solutions that actually make cities less dependable on the context in terms of energy production. And you can see how important it is for long-term sustainability. So I think I'm very proud to say that we have continued this, this amazing work in transport mobility, SDGs, uh, energy throughout COVID. Thank you, uh, Dr. Khausan. I appreciate how you, you gave you know, these examples, not only looking at transportation, which has been such an important element that we've seen through COVID-19 as, as public transportation systems shut down in cities around the world that had a massive impact on people, on communities, especially maybe informal workers or people that did not have access to, to other forms of transportation. So I think that's a, an important point to highlight. Dr. Bernadia, I just want to get your perspective because your organization, United Cities and, and Local Governments, Asia-Pacific, you have linkages to some more than 7,000, I understand, local governments um, and representing uh, a number, almost 4 billion people, if I'm not mistaken, in the broader Asia-Pacific region through this network. What have been some of, of the examples that you've been hearing through your interactions with various local governments? How have cities stepped up really during the crisis? I mean, you cited earlier at the top of the the podcast the solidarity part from citizens, but what about the cities themselves? Could you just give us a couple examples there from your perspective? I think it's very clear that these are not only at the front line of the responses in the pandemic, but also being called upon to radically change the approaches to the crisis of this nature. Uh, from uh, physically to uh, economic and social structures. And uh, we see also clearly here that uh, cities, of course, they are the the first one affected by this pandemic, but they're also making uh, new commitments to fight the spread of the diseases and implementing new strategies, actions, uh, rules, and even providing uh, planning tools with a team of of building a post-pandemic urban environment that is, of course, able to deal with the future health crisis. So cities need also to ensure the safer and healthier environments for the people. And during this COVID pandemic, we see that uh, they have been trying uh, all the best effort and using whatever facilities they have and still providing good services to the people, including the health and, of course, the other aspects, including mobility and uh, using uh, public spaces effectively, uh, efficiently. Uh, this is also through a lot of uh, initiatives that they have, for example, in Jakarta and Metro Manila, they have been building the longest bicycle lanes that you have never seen before. This actually changes the perspective of uh, local governments that cities need to be redesigned for a better life of the people. In terms of, of course, the energy sectors, uh, we actually have also conducted these modules. We developed a module for cities, how to localize, the, especially SDG 7 on the energy for all. What we see here, I mentioned earlier that uh, there are a lot of best practices that have been also compiled by us and not only compiled but being shared, learning each other based on the experiences have been seen also quite strong during this pandemic and we provided the platform for interactions and this is really on on regular basis and it's really, really not much planned but just happened because there was a need, like for example talking about solidarity we also uh, provided donations. I mean, local governments provided donations to others. We see also in the first part of the uh, COVID-19. So what, what I like to say here is that 
just so many good practices, how the cities need to be redesigned for the people. Of course, a lot of challenges with regards to this pandemic that faced by, of course, students, by women, with the high domestic violence that occur. And local governments also provide the 24-7 services for those affected by others' violence. So what I like to highlight here that Local governments are really trying their best during these uh, difficult times. No, and, and thank you. You earlier highlighted, I think you said something like 200 or so good practices that have been assembled and, and collected by, by your organization. Dr. Kauza, did you want to come in on, on this point? Yes, I would like to provide a like complementary perspective to that based on our experience in Trondheim. For us, as I kind of alluded to before, it's been a lot about reinforcing the values of the 2030 Agenda and SDGs, building better, leaving no one behind, and really refocusing on improving the city's resilience. And it has not been maybe done in an explicit way. We haven't really known this is the direction in which we're going to go to. But it turned out to be the step we took forward. For instance, throughout COVID, we actually reinforced our relationships with various groups of stakeholders. We reinforced our relationship with Norwegian University of Science and Technology, which is the hub for research innovation in Norway. It's the biggest university, technical university in Norway with over 30,000 students in Trondheim alone. We pull students into collaboration on SDG specifically throughout COVID in spite of the restrictions. We managed to open SDG Lab including students and students actually starting discussions with various groups of stakeholders including for instance businesses. What do current and future generations may need in terms of sustainability? How do they understand sustainability? To reinforce sustainability values. So this has been a very interesting experience for us that we started during COVID and we continue until now. Similarly, we developed a range of partnerships with big and small enterprises, as I mentioned before, IKEA, Skanska, so these are the big corporations uh, with a lot of capital, but also small and medium enterprises, but also micro enterprises and startups, including, for instance, Mobi, uh, which is uh, specifically working in the field of transport and mobility. So uh, for us, it's been really eye-opening in terms of how much also we can achieve throughout COVID. And so, so that is one element of it. The other one is reinforcing the matter, the issue of resilience and creating the places and spaces that we want to live in and continuing discussions about how this can be achieved. Mm. No, I think that's just that last point about safeguarding civic spaces. I think that's a, such an important point that we've seen all of the different kinds of anecdotes about the role of, of civic spaces and public spaces in cities around the world. So I think keeping that aspect in mind is so relevant, as we also know that in a number of countries and regions and districts around the world, we do see also a shrinking of some of these spaces. Mm -hmm. So in the broader perspective about sustainable cities, Dr. Krause, how do we ensure that what we've learned through COVID over the last two years goes forward, that these lessons, that these examples, that these good practices that Dr. Bernadia also spoke to, how do we keep that momentum going forward so we don't return, we don't go in reverse? Mm -hmm. So I would like to here recall the importance of digitalization and what we have learned about what we can achieve digitally. So I think there is a lot of 
excellence coming from within that. For instance, in Trondheim Kommune, again, during COVID, we launched Decidim platform. It's the platform of citizen engagement when citizens can express their opinion on values policy initiatives. It is also designed as a tool f- to improve public participation. So I imagine that this, this type of initiative is going to be continue being successful and continue being used in our community. And uh, there is a huge potential for scaling that in the context of Norway, as I heard other municipalities know Norway are using that. But at the same time, those measures need to be coupled still with the broader strategic perspective on how we can implement 2030 agenda better and accelerate progress towards SDGs better through partnerships, networked relationships, which we know throughout COVID have proven to generate improved access to resources, for instance, human resources, knowledge, know-how. It's all through our networks. We really mobilized our networks to address COVID better. So that's the one thing. And the other one, take a broader perspective on sustainability finance. What we have observed during COVID is obviously that many urban infrastructure and services projects have been put on hold. And then the the access to resources at municipal level has shrunk, which forced us again to think, how do we generate and what type of funding and financing are we going to generate post-COVID to build back better? And what type of perspective on this funding and finance we're going to take? What I think COVID has proven us is taking a limited perspective on just generating additional financial resources and technologies is insufficient to really build resilient cities. It has really demonstrated us. It has manifested that we need a broader ecosystem networked perspective to really improve our pace towards meeting SDGs. And it really forced us to think about the interdependencies between various elements of the city ecosystem, healthcare provision, education, our normal quality of life, infrastructure, and so on and so forth. So in that sense, it forced us to think, how mature is our city in terms of meeting SDGs, in terms of corresponding to the values of 2030 agenda? Because the money on their own and technologies on their own will not bring us closer to resilience if we don't have this broader perspective in mind. Yeah, no, that's and this, this kind of integrated approach, like you've said, bringing all the different sectors and all of the different actors together that's so important that it's just not one not one element but the finance part too i think that really resonated with me as you said that a lot of projects large infrastructure projects etc have been put on hold dr bernadia i want to bring you back into this point where i did ask dr krause around the notion of of sustainability in the sense of keeping the the progress and the good the good examples uh, going forward what do you think is needed to continue that momentum and and that direction based on your experience where you sit with your organization I think this pandemic also gives uh, opportunities. What, what nice about this situation is, for example, uh, in Jakarta, we managed to see very beautiful sky, uh, which we never seen in the past uh, because of this heavy traffic and congestion that uh, Jakarta has faced uh, earlier. So what I like to say here, uh, cities offer uh, unique opportunities to respond, uh, recover and build long-term resilience. 
citizens towards this uh, compounding crisis. Uh. So returning to business as usual would mean missing a vital opportunity to tackle underlining this interconnected uh, environmental, economic, social and relational challenges that happened before uh, predate uh, COVID-19. So we need to have a well-being approach can guide the process as um, Agatha mentioned, building back better. So cities need to have ability to adapt to the new situation and uh, this new normal. And what we see here, despite of course the challenges with uh, decrease of financial resources, I think this also has been experienced by uh, many cities outside Asia Pacific. But cities making what I call it is uh, important steps here that sustainability and responses to COVID pandemic and building that that can be done together. So we have uh, actually a realization of ADG's program uh, that have started a couple of years ago and this also been adjusted with this uh, situation opportunities that the COVID-19 has brought uh, and uh, we come up with a decalogue on the post-COVID-19 era by also putting the importance of um, creativity on the financial mobilization for example there's also include uh, guaranteeing of public services calling on the adoption of financial support mechanism for crisis and recovery and of course uh, that also include fostering proximity production models that consider the informal sector and small and micro enterprises uh, this is only a few to name yeah for your information a small medium enterprises most of the employees are women and their connectivity to digital platform maybe in a big country like Indonesia I can say that it's only less than 10% so this is the opportunity that have grabbed also by local governments that transformation for digitalization by also bringing this uh, small medium enterprises uh, into the platform that's also been feasible like Jakarta has uh, initiated a collaboration they provide platform for those who need help and those who can provide support and what is uh, nice about this kind of collaboration effort that you don't rely only on one source of finance and collaboration brings different kind of stakeholders together and this is time uh, that as I said earlier, to redesign and the future of our cities. The, the cities that are dynamic, that are vibrant, that um, also have a good number of public spaces that emphasize the importance of public transports, the cities that have much greenery areas or greenery spaces, that also what we see as opportunity. So what I say here, we cannot go back again to what happened before COVID. No, thanks, uh, Dr. Banadia. Dr. Kauza, did you want to, you, I see you want to, to respond. So Yes, yes. As a follow-up to what you have said, what has been important for us is zooming in on the impact of what we have done so far. So how it allowed us to accelerate progress towards SDGs, build back better, improve the resilience of Trondheim. It's been, I think, not only the problem per se, maybe in Trondheim, but also across all the contexts that many policies, projects, programs are too focused on immediate effects, on the outputs, on the effects within housing programs. How many houses have we built? Is that an impact that we are trying to describe here? Or are we really trying to understand how for building housing we are improving access to housing for various groups of stakeholders? What does it mean for housing affordability? What does it mean for the quality of life? 
So, for instance, what it means practically for, for us, for instance, we are now developing a white paper on SDG implementation, zooming in on how through our initiatives in Trondheim we are creating sustainable value added. So value added across various dimensions of sustainability to focus on medium and long-term implications of our actions and make a policymakers in Trondheim and beyond to really think about those medium and long-term effects rather than immediate short-term effects, because we know those medium and long-term effects are important for sustainability. Linking to that is what COVID made us realize is importance of sustainability leadership. And in fact, Trondheim Kommune has launched a leadership development program dedicated to municipalities within the region of Trondelag, where Trondheim is located, but also other uh, municipalities in Norway who can participate in the program, where we are reinforcing the values of the 2030 Agenda, when we are reintroducing the 2030 Agenda and SDGs to cities in Norway, when we are not only telling them what we know about SDGs, but we're asking them what it means for them to really prompt the thinking about in everyday life of city administrations about what else can I do for sustainability beyond what I'm asked to do in order to support this broader ecosystem transformation. The change comes from within the institutions in Trondheim, indeed. And the last thing is we mentioned the importance of uh, funding and financing for development for building back better. We mentioned the role of technologies and uh, citizen engagement and uh, citizen solidarity and people-first approaches, partnership development and so on. I think it's important also to mention the role of data and really improving evidence-based policy process and decision-making. So what we have realized, especially throughout COVID pandemic, is that although it was challenging at the beginning to get the numbers through, it was easier to us as the pandemic developed because we created the mechanism to gather the data that was needed. Which brings us to really the main point. We need good quality granular data about the development of cities to be able to address challenges of post-COVID. And we need to find ways to process this data in an efficient and effective manner in order to take decisions faster. What COVID has taught us is we need to act faster. For instance, what we're piloting now in Trondheim, we are using a simulation technology, which is a digital twin model of a city, which allows us to overlay data on the digital twin, on the 3D interface of the city, in order to create the visual effect. And as we know, actually, people can take decisions through images maybe faster, maybe more efficiently. So we are really testing it in the field of transport and mobility in Trondheim to take decisions in a more informed, faster, more efficient, effective manner. And that's definitely impressive, this uh, laboratory approach that you're also Indeed. embodying um, within within Trondheim. And I think that in itself is, is, is quite exemplary. So many different thoughts that you've mentioned. And also, Dr. Krause, you said an interesting expression. I think you mentioned sustainability leadership. Uh, and ensuring that the values of the 2030 Agenda are embodied and show up um, at all levels of government. So, Dr. Bernadiak, maybe can you comment on that? Because from your perspective with the United Cities and, and local governments, Asia-Pacific, how has the, the COVID pandemic, from your vantage point, really brought forward this notion of seeing the 2030 Agenda come forward? Is this something that you've also witnessed and, and this notion of leadership at the level of of communities, of cities, uh, to bring forward and to embody the, the values of the 2030 Agenda? Yeah, 
local leaders uh, really play a very important role. When we talk about the SDGs uh, with the 17 goals, almost 65% of uh, SDGs uh, must be done at the local level. Therefore, local government's role uh, are crucial. You cannot achieve SDGs if you are not engaging uh, local governments. So we uh, see a very promising uh, kind of role here that local governments have been putting, especially uh, during this pandemic. Uh, this is uh, quite promising to see more and more interest uh, coming from local governments that they see uh, VLR as a co-creation and also kind of a, a social contract in which uh, they see that SDGs cannot be implemented only by local governments here. So it needs a very strong partnerships with the different stakeholders. And uh, I also would like to share with you, when we look at the number of VNRs uh, that submitted by uh, central governments uh, to the United Nations, in the beginning, very few uh, local governments have been engaged in the process of the VNR. But it's really good sign now. Uh, I think in total, already almost 50% of the VNR submitted by central governments uh, have included the uh, aspirations as well as the perspective of local governments. This is very good sign that shows that uh, central governments see the value of these local governments. And uh, my last message here, and we also uh, work on the VSR. I think maybe this is new terms for uh, many of you. It's a voluntary sub-national governments review in which uh, a bit different from VLR. VLR is more on the individual local governments that looking at the progress of the SDGs at the local governments level. But this VSR is a collective use, a collective uh, perspective of a group of local governments in the country, which have been also used as a reference for central government. So what I want to say here, this pandemic gives a kind of a momentum for local governments to work together with different stakeholders to also put more attention on the importance of SDGs, especially care about health, safety, and healthier environments. And this is, of course, important is that people need to adapt with the use of technology for daily life. And this is also not only for works, but also for study and even these um, other activities. So these changes behavior um, may persist uh, in the post-COVID-19. Dr. Krause, you wanted to, yes. to respond. About the uh, voluntary subnational, local and national reviews. Indeed, 2021, a voluntary national review of Norway has been produced in collaboration with the Association of Local and Regional Authorities in Norway, the KS. And in fact, the 21 VNR is integrated already with VSR and includes VLRs as well. So in the document itself, you can see the extract of VLRs. And I think this is a very interesting dynamic that emerged throughout COVID. And another thing that pops into my mind in terms of this um, multi-level governance collaboration is also in relation to data specifically. So what we realized in Trondheim and also beyond Trondheim is currently something that is known, especially among the statisticians working on um, SDG goals and targets and indicators, that the indicator set is not perfect. So in fact, the Statistics Norway, together with the Association of Local and uh, Regional Authorities, the KS, as I mentioned, together with ourselves, Trondheim Commune and Asker Commune, developed a taxonomy for SDG indicators. This is a quality assurance tool. It's a tool which tells you how internally 
consistent SDG indicator set is. So we have a project now being run uh, with ourselves, obviously, um, with uh, um, KS. It's assessing the SDG indicator sets, telling how good and reliable is it, what needs to be changed within the maybe the indicator set in order to better reflect uh, various, various issues um, at hand. Um, we apply this and we call it a taxonomy, to various indicator sets, not only SDG indicator set, United Nations one, but also our national uh, indicator set and also another UN standard that was developed, which is the key performance indicators for smart sustainable cities. So we take this very informed approach, trying to think, okay, if once we have data, what we can do, that's the one thing, but how can we get the data that we really need? We really need to improve the methodologies themselves. You've mentioned now data a number of times, and I think that's something that um, is central to to this topic, uh, to sustainability, to cities, and it's one that we've also seen come out in the other uh, topics that we've that we've discussed so far on this podcast series. We're almost out of time. Before we close, very much in the spirit of what we've been trying to achieve together, the SDG Lab, with the UN Library and Archives Geneva, is to, to ask our guests to wrap up by ending this sentence. It took a global crisis too. So, Dr. Krause, over to you. It took a global crisis to make us rethink what is important in life, our values and our relationships, but also to reconsider what is good quality of life in cities and in small development areas like, and what places and spaces we would like to live in. Dr. Bernadia, it took a global crisis to... It took uh, a global crisis to rebuild and resave the city toward the resiliency and sustainability. Cities uh, need to have be a vibrant, a dynamic, and most important is that happiness of the people. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bernadia and Dr. Krause. Well, there are so many topics we touched upon today, and we could have an entire conversation on each one of them, points such as the importance of good governance or that the SDGs cannot be achieved or tackled in, in just one way or by one single actor. You both stress the need for better data, in fact, granular data at the community and district level, and of financing to implement sustainable policies and programs. And of course, we started off our discussion by underscoring how solidarity has been a key ingredient to how cities around the world have coped and in fact thrived in responding to the effects of this global pandemic. And I think that's an important takeaway for all of us. So thank you again, Dr. Agata Krause, head of the 2030 Agenda and in International Relations at the Center for Sustainable Development with Trondheim Kommune in Norway, and Dr. Bernadia Irwati Janradevi, the Secretary General of United Cities and Local Governments, Asia Pacific, based in Jakarta, Indonesia. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to this episode's Spark. If you're unfamiliar with this edition, this is a segment of our SDG Lab series, where at the end of each episode, we'll explore inspirational stories related to the conversation to spark further understanding and curiosity. Would you believe me? If I told you the solution to some of the world's climate issues could be sitting right under your feet. Well, in today's case study, 
two winning students who participated in the C40 Students Reinventing Cities competition will tell you just how soil could be used as a sustainable city solution. Hello, my name is Constantino Angelopoulou and I'm coming from Greece. I'm currently on my last year of studies for my diploma in architecture and engineering at the University of Patras. And hello everyone, my name is Arisandra Igorova and I'm currently based in Geneva in Switzerland. I'm currently doing a double master degree in sustainable development with an emphasis on urban planning with Geneva University and Tsinghua University in Beijing. Both Constantina and Arisandra participated this year in the annual competition amongst a thousand students across 150 universities. They took out the first prize for their project on Kipseli, Athens, Greece. You'll hear from them more about their project and why their idea could turn soil into a sustainable city solution. The Student Reinventing Cities competition is a worldwide competition where students are called to reinvent existing cities now and provide a vision of how they could be in the future. We were composed of a really multidisciplinary team with students like me, more focused on urban planning, with other students which have a background in environmental engineering, and students from the University of Padras with a good background in architecture. So all together, we were able to provide a more comprehensive and coherent project. Our point of interest is Kipseli. Uh, Kipseli is one of the most famous neighborhoods in Athens, which had an era of glory back uh, in the 50s and 60s. Kipseli is currently looking for a new identity. The neighborhood is marked by high urban density with a repetitive housing model, the polykatechia, and under used communal spaces. So what our team did is to detect Kipselli's important points of interest and uh, prompted by the upcoming uh, creation of a new metro line in Athens and more specifically the excavations for the new metro station in the heart of Kipselli proposed the reuse of, of the enormous volume of the extracted soil. So instead of leaving more than 60,000 cubic meters of soil uh, to go to waste, our project suggests multiple interventions that can be replicated and will give Kipseli a new look. So the full project uses up to 66% of the excavation soil from the new metro station and uh, it is going to turn this neighborhood into a prototype soil capital of Athens that can be replicated. Our project focuses on more of a circular economy model. So what we're trying to do is reuse what we already have rather than build something new, which I think is crucial nowadays, especially when we talk about the future of sustainable cities. For example, we reuse the existing structures and buildings. We also reuse the existing characteristics of polykatechia. For example, polykatechias, so inner courtyards that we want to link with each other to create this green thread that we talked about. We reuse the existing public spaces and the streets by transforming them rather than building something new. We want to reinvent the streets to make sure that the public spaces and the private spaces are merged together in a community space where people can freely walk and interact with each other. 
I would definitely recommend uh, this competition. I think uh, like having the opportunity through my university to participate in, uh, in it uh, with such a big team, collaborating with another university uh, is one of the best experiences I've ever had, like academically speaking. And it was like, it felt a lot like I was working on an actual project because we actually visited the area and living in Greece, it was important for me uh, to imagine it in a different way. So, yes, I would definitely recommend it uh, for other students. And so for students all around the world that want to join this competition, there's a website with students reinventing cities. And when it comes to our case, our teachers reach out to us about this opportunity. So I think you should discuss it with your teachers, definitely. To find out more about their project and the competition, check out our show notes where you'll find the C40 website and a link to their project for more information. It Takes a Global Crisis is produced by the UN Library and Archives Geneva and the SDG Lab. The production team is Edward Michard, Marlene Borlon, Yevgenia Otuchova, Tiffany Verga, and Natalie Alexander. If you'd like to give us feedback or share your comments, you can email us at sdg-lab at un.org. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, leave us a review or find us at UNOG Library on Twitter and UN Library and Archives Geneva on Facebook. Or find us at sdglab on Twitter or sdglab at UN Geneva on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.